Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a No my haere mai, kia ora and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika. Kia ora Enika. Kia ora Alison. Well, as usual, um, today we're going to be talking about what we're reading, what we've been reading, and what's on our to-be-read lists. So we've been um, both reading up a storm over the last couple of weeks. We have, yes. um, Reading up a storm, one eye on the Olympics, one eye on the book. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's right. Yep, so we're really excited to present some heavy hitters today. Um, Hopefully some gold medal you know, <laughs> winners. Yeah. So look, let's start, um, I think we'll start with Unsheltered by Claire Maletta. Fantastic. Yeah. So now this is um, a book that's just quite recently published, so uh, May 2021. And um, Claire Maletta is a Kiwi Aussie. So I don't know whether you'd call that a quasi or something. <laughs> I think I might. Yeah. So, but um, both New Zealand and Australia, I'm sure both countries are going to want to claim her after this. It often this happens, one. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. They'll be saying she's ours. That's right. She was born in New Zealand, um, raised in Western Australia, and now she's back living in, in Wellington. Mm. So now this book, um, Unsheltered, it's set in in the near future in a place that's eerily like Australia, but, you know, it could be anywhere. Mm. Um, And it's an engrossing novel. It describes a country that has disintegrated um, due to climate destruction and a sort of general system breakdown with a bit of pandemic thrown into the mix. Mm. So it sounds as though it it could happen, doesn't it? It's a a bit scarily, scarily uh, possible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. A bit too yeah. close to the bone yeah. sometimes. <laughs> and so in the, the story, um, the society virtually has no governance, no structures. The The systems that are still in place are cruel and, and heartless. Mm. And those people who are unsheltered are seeking asylum in the sheltered land, but they're treated just appallingly by this really brutal bureaucracy. Mm. So our main character, Lee, has become separated from her eight-year-old daughter, Matty, while attempting to, to navigate this chaos. And so Lee sets out on foot on this really harrowing journey. She's trying to find out what's happened to Matty and also trying to trying to find her, mm. basically. Mm. And we've got this countryside that's barren and unforgiving and, and dangerous. And Lee has to use all her skills and, and wits to survive. So, yeah, um, and this is a novel that asks us to consider what happens when everything we have is gone and um, when all we have left is our, our shared humanity. Mm. And then what happens when supplies of collective goodwill begin to disappear? And all of that sort of sounds, that could happen, or it's kind of happening already in societies, isn't it? It, it does, yeah. I think that's a really good description, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's um, it's a real wake-up call to the world. Um, I believe she's saying, you know, you do nothing about the climate emergency we're facing um, at your peril. Mm. 
And um, if we do nothing to claw back our destructive practices, this is the reality that we face. It's definitely a cautionary tale, this one, and she's not pulling any punches, is she? No. Yeah. That's right. Which I think is actually right. It really is right right now. Yes. Yeah. We need that wake-up call. We do, Mm. yeah. And, um, you know, it's a a book, it's engrossing, it's absorbing, it's gripping, um, but quite moving as well mm. um, and it has a lot of tender tender moments um, you know and it's it's as we were saying before it's possibly some of it's been done before um, mm. the mother's love for her child that will take her literally to the ends of the earth yes that's right it's really interesting that that mother-daughter relationship they have in the book she's got this really deep love of her daughter and that's pushing her on of course to try and find her but there's also this discomfort um in the relationship as well because lee in her heart of hearts she wonders whether she should have ever had a child Mm. with her partner frank who who um dies tragically near the beginning of the book um, whether she should have brought a child into this, you know, increasingly inhospitable world with this uncertain future. And I wondered whether she kind of um, built that, the interesting relationship that, that they have, um, you know, where the daughter is, is kind of closer to her dad mm. than her mum. I wondered whether the mum sort of had this protective layer between herself and her child just yeah. because of the uncertainty of of their circumstances. It was it was really interesting. It was almost like she had an ambivalence, didn't mm. she, about being being a parent. But then once you're a, a parent, then you'd you'd crawl over hot coals. That's right. There's no going child. back, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But that does come through quite a bit. Quite strongly. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting one, isn't it? And um it also I think think gave me a, a sense of how um, if a government has a like a one child policy mm. how that can force people into making heartbreaking decisions as well. Yeah it was interesting they talked about having a replacement policy at one stage and then moving on to a one child mm. policy mm. It, that yeah, was very interesting to think about. Yeah mm. and that's it's a bit frightening and we've seen examples of that in, right. in the real world um, you know there's so much to think about um, as well, like something that really struck me was how difficult it is to deal with um, faceless bureaucracies. Mm. Um, and even in our non-dystopian society or our real society, um, and it's something that you and I see probably all the time in libraries, mm. that if you're digitally disadvantaged, trying to deal with a government bureaucracy, it's just bewildering, isn't it? That's right, especially as everything moves online. Yeah, that's mm. right. Which is kind of accelerated post, oh, not post-COVID, as a but, result of COVID. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, so, of course, in in this um, in the book, it's just exponentially worse for her, isn't it? And she'd have a small amount of credit on her phone to try and ring whatever the department was, that's was right. called to try and, you know, is there any news and... And and you just got this sense of desperation. Yeah, there wasn't really any human connection at all in the government, was there? It was all being run through internet and and automated phone services. Yes. Yeah, again, really close to the bone. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Mm. Um, You know, I was thinking that um, listeners might expect that this is going to be a really grim and depressing story, but there are 
there's quite a few moments of lightness throughout the book. Mm. And um, moments, of course, of tenderness and the kindness of strangers. Yes. And and those moments were very moving. But we were saying before there were those times of um, real classic Aussie deadpan humour, <laughs> which they shone through when um, the the part that I enjoyed when um, Lee and Frank come across a deserted pub. Yes. And they kind of imagine themselves running, owning the pub and, and running it. <laughs> and uh, didn't they say what we could take turns at being the customer? Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah. I mean, even when there's no fosters left, the Aussies are still wanting to have the bar and yes. there's nothing coming out of the taps, but yeah. <laughs> just a few Living tips. the dream. Yeah, because it is every Australian's dream, really, isn't of it? Of course. To own a pub. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there's, yes, some humour in that mm. as well, which um, lightens things up a bit. But I sort of think that this is a novel that's going to have real broad appeal um, to both a younger and an older audience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it did remind me of um, quite a few, you know, dystopian books and and. You know, there's a lot in that climate fiction space now, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was the, um, you know, the road, Station Eleven. Mm. Um, I, I even thought of the Tomorrow series by John Marsden, which is kind of like a, a, a World War Three. Yeah, there was that element of... in this book too, because there was conscription of, um, uh, or right. a ballot and conscription, conscription um, system for children aged 15 and over, wasn't mm. there? And that was part of the mix for... The children who had her child who's disappeared with a group of other children. Hey, yes, mm. yeah. So it's a it's a good one. I yeah, recommend that one definitely. Well, I've also been reading. Um, we've been reading quite a bit of New Zealand fiction, mm. haven't we, Alison? Preparing for um, nominations for the International Dublin Literary Award, and it's been an absolute pleasure yes. um, to be doing that. So, as part of that research and for my own pleasure, um, I have been reading Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. This was published in 2020 and it's available in all our formats. Um, it is There is a bit of a queue in it, so I would just say get in the queue and get ready for it. Um, this is the third novel from Meg Mason. She's a New Zealand author and journalist, but she's been based in Australia for many years, in Sydney, and then also in the UK for five years as well. Um, this was released in February 2021. It's um, It's gone on to the summer bestseller charts in the UK and the US and the rights to the TV series are already secured. So you do want to get in on this one because there's a lot of hype around it. Now, I think it's it's pretty deserved, actually. This was a really readable book. Mm. I, I really did inhale it. I say that a lot, but I really <laughs> did. <laughs> now, our main character in this book is Martha and she's lived with mental illness since she was around 17 years old. And at times... The periods of her um, her mental illness where it's affected her most have left her completely incapacitated mm-hmm. and even on the verge of suicide. Now, she and her family have really become used to that, that endless rounds of doctors and different diagnoses and changes of medication that are that are so common for people who are struggling with their mental mental illnesses and, and mental health. It's been a real roller coaster ride. So she sometimes have these periods of being very, you know, relatively well, and then she just crashes and is mm. at rock bottom for can be weeks or even months at a time. Now she's mostly adored by her family, but she's not always liked or mm. understood, and that is really 
a lot to do with um, how her illness manifests. Um, she's very dependent on them and on her partner for emotional support and at times financial support as well. Um, but she does feel quite resentful of this, um, even though she, she really does need them. Um, and she does sometimes wonder if it would be better for everyone, herself included, if she maybe wasn't around anymore. So it's a tough situation, mm. really tough. She's really bright. She's very quick-witted, but sometimes she's impetuous and cruel to others. She's very generous and sensitive, noticing other people's feelings, but sometimes she's really, really not. So, yeah. you know, it just flips. It flips. She's very honest, and sometimes it's brutal, brutal honesty, but quite difficult to trust. And she can be quite harsh on herself and then other times too soft. So, yeah, really quite an inf- um, interesting character, really interesting mm. character, very real, very yeah. relatable. Um, when we meet her, she's in a really low point. She's she's almost 40. Her job is pretty stagnant. Um, her devoted husband, who she thought would never leave, has left. And her best friend and sister, Ingrid, is no longer talking to her. And she's really the person that um, Martha's gone to all the time for help and support. Um, now, Martha receives a new diagnosis and treatment partway through the book and she actually keeps this to herself as um, it's actually working and um, she kind of keeps that close for one reason or another which becomes clear in the book. Um, She's actually quite afraid of where her illness and her true personality lie. She doesn't really know because she has been in this state of illness for so long and been on such a range of medications that she's just really not sure who she really is without that illness. Very interesting um, twist is that when she does get this final diagnosis, which we assume is correct, um, the author leaves the diagnosis empty. Mm-hmm. So as not to kind of overlay any um, pre-assumptions, I guess, about about how that illness manifests or, yeah, how it's been portrayed. Um, it really reminded me of Fleabag, and I know yeah. that's been on the... the um, the promo material too, and I think that's really justified. Um, it also reminded me of an uh, author called Barbara Trapedo, um, who was writing in the 80s and 90s yes. mainly. Um, it's got this sort of upper middle class English vibe. It's got the dysfunctional but eccentric and interesting family, lots of quick wit. Yeah. Yeah, interesting one. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, – I loved it too, I, I really did. Mm. So I, I'd say that's one we could certainly recommend as well, couldn't we? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, I think it's important to remember that um, it's from a white middle mm. to upper middle class perspective on mental health. And but so it's just one person's experience, really. Yeah. be interesting to compare that with um, another books like maybe Queenie by Candice Cardi-Williams yes. came to mind. Yeah. Yes. And some of those other books where the main character doesn't have the same safety net it's or right. you know, to fall back on. Or Luster by Raven Leilani oh, yes, would be another right. interesting one to compare yeah. this with if you're you know, getting into a book club discussion. I think that would be yeah, really rich ground. Yeah, would be great. Well, look, um, talking about um, books that you can really have a good discussion <laughs> about, um, I wanted to talk to you about um, another Kiwi Aussie writer awesome. um, called Jacqueline Bublitz mm. and her book and there's a great buzz around this is um, Before You Knew My Name so now Jacqueline um, Bublitz divides her time between Melbourne and her hometown of New Plymouth and um, this is her debut novel and it's set in the modern era in New York 
and um, it's basically about violence and the patriarchy, mm. but it's actually quite uplifting in a, in a strange kind of way. It, um, I would say it needs a mild trigger warning um, if there's such a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> but Because um, it is about a murder, but even though it doesn't go into the graphic details of the, the murder, um, it's more focused on the before and the after, mm-hmm. um, not the actual scene. But it's something to be, be aware of. Sure. So what I love about this book is that she, the writer subverts those cliches of crime fiction in really exhilarating kind of ways. Um, It's a book about this fascination that we have in our society. It's fascination with dead girls. Mm. Um, And I'm saying that with their quotes, the the dead girl. You know, all those books about murder that have girl in the title, (laughs) you know, the girl on the train, the girl in the mirror, you know, the girl... In the window. uh, Yeah, blah, 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 the girl doing all of this. (laughs) And, um, but what Jacqueline Bublitz does, she absolutely turns this, the dead girl trope on its head. Mm. And that's what I love about it. It's actually a very feminist novel. Um, But having said that, it's going to have broad appeal. It will appeal to men, women, any you know, however you identify. Mm. So basically the story goes that you've got these two young women, they're both recent arrivals in New York City and they're both, um, they don't know each other, um, so they've come from opposite sides of the world, both fleeing from relationships with predatory men. Um, they cross paths and their fates become entwined mm. forever basically. Mm-hmm. In another world, um, in a perfect world, they might have met on a park bench in Central Park, chatted and become friends and, you know, had a great, great friendship. Mm. But that doesn't happen in this book because one of them, when they meet, one of them is already dead. Sounds weird, doesn't <laughs> it? But So um, you've got an 18-year-old um, woman called Alice and um, she's steps off a cross-country bus that's brought her from small-town Wisconsin to New York. Um, She's got nothing but a bit of cash and a a camera that she stole from her art teacher who had groomed her into having Mm. a, if you'd call it a relationship. I don't know if you Mm. you really could, but she thought it was a relationship. Um, A month later, she's dead. She's an unidentified Jane Doe found um, murdered and raped in the uh, in the river by Central Park. Wow. And at the same time, you've got a 36-year-old Ruby who's travelled from Australia to New York. She's um, recovering from a long-term relationship with a married man, basically. Mm-hmm. And she's there hoping to reset and recover, but her life is turned upside down when she discovers Alice's um, body while she's out jogging. Mm. So um, this is now this scene, you know, the pretty young woman who's found murdered in the park. This is the beginning of numerous novels, I would say, and then sort of count hundreds of TV shows. Right. Um, yeah. But in this <laughs> too book, many, yeah, in my too opinion. many. Yeah. yeah. And that's our weird fascination that we've that's got. That's right. But in this book, it happens about a third of the way through the book. So we've already. Um, learned a lot about our characters and it's a catalyst for a different kind of story 
um, where all those cliches and tropes about dead women are, are pulled apart. Um, Ruby becomes very obsessed with identifying the Jane Doe and solving her murder. Who was Alice? Why did she die? Mm. What might she have done with her precious life if this hadn't have happened? So, um, yeah, so the um, that victim narrative's really undercut, and the, um, because the narrator of the book is the dead girl. I see. So, um, so after her death, Alice goes on narrating the world around her. It's really, really interesting. And it's not so much a a who did this, who was he, you know, Mm -hmm. what was it about him that we want to know. It was how does this happen, Yeah, you know, and it's just a a different way of looking at the murder of of women that we see. Yeah. Yeah. And what is wrong with the world that these crimes occur and... And why are we so obsessed with the narratives around them? It's a really, really smart book. Mm. Um, it's compelling. It's really readable. Um, reminded me quite a bit of um, Alice Seabold's The Lovely Bones, but I found yes. it a bit more uplifting. Yeah, because then that the um, murder victim was a child, wasn't it? Yes, mm. yeah. Mm. I, oh, I found was, that really hard. That was creepy, that one. That one. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was compelling, but also very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm really looking forward to reading that. Yeah, highly recommended. Yeah. It's a good one. You know me, I'm not big on crime, but I do like a, I'm interested in the, yeah, I think this is actually right up my alley. I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. The way a whole bunch of stuff gets turned on its head. I think so. You like that analysis. Yeah. That comes with it. Well, having said that I'm not really into crime, I did actually read a crime novel last (gasps) week on my break. Yes, I did. What came over you? Check me out. I know. Um, So I read The Maidens by Alex uh, Michaelides, um, published last year and found in adult fiction and the crime. Not on e-books yet, but I'm sure it will be. Now, um... Alex Michaelides, he had his debut novel was out in 2019. It was called The Silent Patient, and it was a big bestseller. Um, So this one is his follow-up and hotly anticipated. Um, In this book, we have our our main character is um, a group counsellor called Mariana. Now, she's half Greek and half English. When you meet her, she's grieving for her husband who um, died a year before he drowned while they were on holiday in Naxos in her um, old hometown. Now, she's an expert in leading group therapy and she was always listening for what's said and unsaid from her clients. But she herself is really caught up in a cycle of grief, you know, in the memories of the past that she has with her husband and really in mourning for the future that she can't have with him anymore. Now, she gets a call from her niece, Zoe, who's a student at Cambridge University. uh, And Zoe's roommate and best friend Tara has been murdered. So Mariana heads off to Cambridge University to support her niece, um, who's also like a foster daughter because um, Tara, uh, sorry, Zoe's parents um, died in a tragic accident earlier, so she's quite close to her niece. And she ends up enmeshed in the case, both on a personal and professional level, because she's asked to kind of support students in processing the murder and the fear that's surrounding the campus. But also she's being asked to kind of get them talking so that they can try and uncover more clues about who the killer might be. Now she starts her own investigation separate from the official one, and she's focused very quickly on in the piece with on the um, the charismatic Professor Edward Fosker, who's an expert in Greek mythology and particularly in Greek tra- tragedies. 
Now, the murder victim was a member of a select group of students that he led called the Maidens. Now, all of the Maidens are female, beautiful and brilliant, and they're actually also his only alibis for the night of the murder. Mm. And um, Tara, the murder victim, was one of these these maidens. Maidens. Mm. So Mariana's Greek heritage comes into play here because she's got this insider knowledge that helps her to make connections between the murders and um, the Greek myths, particularly those surrounding Persephone and Hades, so death and the maiden, and also um, looking at the sort of secret rituals that were performed during the Eleusinian Mysteries, which if you're a class- former classic student, you might know about. If you're not, don't worry. She goes into it in, in a good amount of detail, so you get a good understanding of this sort of like cult of the um, death and the maiden. Uh, now she's following the clues, but while she's doing that, she's been pursued by various men with various and nefarious intentions. Um, she's got an unstable patient who's a bit of a stalker. There's a young Cambridge student who falls in love with her on the train ride up from London and who keeps following her around. And Professor Fosker as well is kind of deep in the mix and sort of starting to kind of stay on her trail. Lots of atmosphere in this one, lots of dark shadowy staircases Mm. and punting down the river at midnight, lots of places for lurkers. Short read, super quick, short chapters. Um, It was a bit lurid. And um, the writing was, you know, it's fit for purpose. It wasn't fancy. It's it, If you're thinking like Donatart's secret history, less of that, more kind of a Dan Brown kind of problem-solving sort of vibe. I get, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in the queue. The reveal of the whodunit is a good guess. Like, I mean, I, I pretty much worked it out at some point, but, you know, it was still a good good read. Um, you could try some other books while you wait as well. So you could try The Secret History by Donna Tart, or you could give um, The Truants by Kate Weinberg or The Bellwether Revivals by Benjamin Wood a go as well. All those vibes of academia and murder. Mm, mm. Yeah. That sounds really... I think I wouldn't mind trying that, actually. Yeah, give it a and go. I kind of had a feeling I might know who did it, Just, but I bet I'm wrong. Just from <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. You're pretty big on the crime. You're probably like, I can see this in my life. <laughs> yeah, I should try it and then see if I'm, see if I'm right, but I probably won't, won't be. <laughs> hey, um, I've got time for a bit of a, a yeah. TBR here. This weekend, I'm planning to kind of start something completely different and I'm going to start um, it's a road novel we like I do like these road mm. trips and it's called um, The Last Great Road Bum by Hector Tobar mm. um, I don't think I've pronounced that um, prop- his name properly so I do apologise for that so this is a novel that's based on a, a true story and um, it's about a, um, a fella from um, Illinois mm-hmm. in, in the Midwest of America called Joe Sanderson. And he was a man who died in pursuit of a life that was worth writing about. <laughs> he was, in his own words, a road bum. Um, he was an adventurer, a storyteller. Um, one of those people that were was never... Um, Never sort of oh completely Rolling Stone Rolling Stone that's the word Rolling yes Stone. thank you for that oh. I knew you'd have a good um, music thing <laughs> uh, there but anyway so he um, basically um, born in Illinois died fighting with the uh, guerrillas in Central America oh, wow and so basically we know the beginning and the end so with these 
facts. Um, the this great novelist um, Hector Toba um, set out to write what what would become a great road novel called The Last Great Road Bum. Wow! So was is yes. this a recent one? Or? Yes, um, just it's just been published in the last year. Oh, nice! But it looks really really interesting, and it's nicely presented. It's got a really cool map. With a motorcycle on it. Awesome. Um, but it, yeah, it just sort of grabbed me. So I'm looking forward to that. I like a road trip movie too. And yeah, yes. movie, book, anything book, really. Yes. Yeah. This would probably make quite a good film, mm. I would say. I'll just clarify now the gorillas in Central America, we are talking. Oh, yes. <coughs> the gorillas. Yeah. Yes. Gorillas. Yes. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yes. I know. Not the ones in the mist. Yeah. <laughs> no. Although there might have been a bit of. Miss, but they're definitely girls. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, so that's that's going to be awesome. a good one. Well, I've still got a stack a mile high left over from my holiday picks, so I will talk to you about my to be read once I have got a few more um, under my belt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll look forward to to hearing about that because I know you had, did heaps of reading last week, didn't you? So I did, well yeah. Done. So lots to talk about next week too. Yeah. Oh, look, that'll be great. Well, look, um, to our listeners, thanks so much today for tuning in. Um, this has been really, really fun. We've enjoyed the, the New Zealand um, books and all kind of Australian as well <laughs> books today. So, look, um, thanks once again. Uh, take care and be kind to yourselves. Happy reading. Haere rā, ka kite anō. brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.